Live from London, this is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. The time is 8 o'clock. The date is the 20th of October. And this is The Late Show live on Teachers Talk Radio. And I am your host, Noreen Khalid. Stay tuned to hear my guests and I discuss what is inclusion, what does the role of the Senko involve, and how can we support pupils and staff who stammer. Join the discussion by calling Live from London, this is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Very warm welcome to you all. Great to have you with me. Um, this is your show, so do join in with me and my guests by calling in or by using social media. If this is your first time tuning in, or you would like to just find out more about us, then please head over to our website, www.ttradio.org. If you have thought about hosting a radio show of your own, but didn't know where to start, then our website has details about how you can get in touch with us. The team will be delighted to hear from you, and you may become our latest host with a show of your own. So today we have two fabulous guests. Joining us uh, first is Anita Devi. Welcome, Anita. Hi, Noreen. Thank you so Hi. much. Oh, unmute. Hello. Can you Hi. hear me? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Noreen. No, thank you for taking your time out on, on Wednesday evening to join us. Um, so, uh, listeners, Anita um, is a former Senko. Um, as senior leader and a school improvement advisor. Um, and she's done lots of things um, in, in these roles. Uh, she was also a local authority sent advisor, advisory teacher. Um, her own teaching career spans early years to postgraduate in UK as well as overseas. Uh, Anita is in the process of completing her PhD thesis on the career trajectory of a single, and we will be talking about all of this with her. So, Anita, welcome again. Thank you. Um, so, let's start uh, by um, um, by about a bit about yourself. So, tell us about yourself, your background. How did you get into teaching, and how did you especially get into um, single or send? So, um, about myself. Well, I think the important things first. If, you, if I remember around your place, it's a cup of Earl Grey, Earl Grey tea, Noreen. Yeah. <laughs> Earl Grey, and I am a, someone who likes the milk first. Um, I know that might upset some of your listeners, but, you know, it's it can go either way, hey. So just so that you know, Earl Grey is my thing. Um, I, at the age of around 14, I went to um, an event in London um, it was the Ilya um, King's College in London, um, and there were two speakers there um, who've since passed on, but they were incredible speakers and incredible educators, and they were originally from Sierra Leone. And they were the ones who inspired me. Um, and and uh, so it was Victor Kanu and his wife, Genevieve Kanu, um, and Genevieve played this song um, in, during her presentation, and it was that pop song, if I'm honest, at the age of 14 um, is when I knew 
that's what I want to do. I want to go into education and that's where my heart is. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's, really, that's really, I think this is the first time we've had somebody who's been inspired in quite that way. So it's, that's lovely. Um, so um, as I said before, you've worked as a Senko. Now, uh, people who are listening in uh, or who will catch up afterwards um, and who may be thinking of taking up this position, can you tell them if what is involved in a role of a Senko? Sure. So maybe also, maybe if I shared why I became a Senko as well, that would kind of... Oh, that would be great. Yes, please. Um, so for me, you know, as I got involved in teaching and education, I was very much thinking about what, what's my why in this? Because, you know, you need a lot of perseverance in education. You need a lot of sustainability. Um, there are good days. There are incredible days, um, light bulb moments. But there are also tough days. Um, and so I used to, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. And for my why in terms of education and teaching and, and the wider roles that I've done has always been about, I believe, in the joy of learning. And there is something about the joy of learning. And it's not what is being learnt, although that is important too. But when someone learns something, you step out of who and where you are into a new place. And in stepping into that new place, something shifts and changes for the individual and in the atmosphere. And that was the moments that I thrived on. Mm-hmm. So I became quite interested in this whole um, construct of learning. And my um, first degree prior to coming into teaching was also in psychology. So I was also, in, you know, always interested, having done sociology at A-level as well, this kind of, you know, what what makes individuals and humans tick? What enables them? What motivates them? What powers them? Um, so all mm-hmm. of these things kind of came together as I became a teacher and I started to spend a lot of time about what is my model for learning? Because I, I'm passionate about the joy of learning. So how do I think children learn? And I'd studied a lot of the theorists and, and, and all of that was great. You know, you've got your Bruner, you've got your Vygotsky, Piaget, all these great theorists. And what they contributed to the world was wonderful. But there was something more that was happening in my classrooms. And so over time, I started to create and develop my own model of learning. Mm-hmm. And as I was interested in what enables and, and, and that joy of learning, I also saw moments when children weren't learning and when their learning was being blocked and they weren't accessing learning or for whatever reason. And there's a variety of reasons that happens. And so as much as I'm driven by the joy of learning, the, the problem solver in me was also curious and you know, wanted to investigate what stops someone learning and what can I do about that? What can I change in my practice as a teacher if I've got a child in front of me for whatever reason isn't able to learn what I'm teaching them? Yes, I need to shift what I'm doing and and look at some of that and be reflective. But what can I do that's what we would now, you know, what we would call in terms of the code of practice additional to and different from? Yes. And so that's really how I got involved in becoming a Senko. Um, it was just, I, I guess, the flip side of my passion about the joy of learning. Um, and so, yeah. And for me, the two, enabling people to learn and unblocking those who can't learn, I think I've got an equal passion for both, if that makes sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. What you've said about joy of learning, um, that, that 
you know, that really gets, um, I, I sort of really empathize with that, that you can't learn unless you can understand and transmit that joy of learning and, and perhaps the joy of teaching. Yes, yes. Um, and teaching is great, but actually, and we can, you know, I, I, the teaching part of it was great. And I love kind of in, not just imparting the knowledge, but character development was a big part of my mm-hmm. um, driver. So I did a postgraduate um, qualification um, around, you know, linking the national curriculum to character education. This was back in 2000, maybe, or before that. So, uh, yes, that was important, but it was more about, you know, learning. Learning is such a powerful medium and it's a lifelong process and it's not just the formal education, but, you know, and if we can, as as teachers, um, ignite that lifelong learning passion in children, um, you know, when I taught primary, um, I used to say to the children, um, and I was, say, I was sharing this with some of the teacher trainees last week, um, that, you know, I used to say to the children, we, we learn to read so that one day we can read to learn. Because once mm-hmm. you can read, you can read about anything from astrophysics yes. to biology to, you know, how to do origami or anything. Yeah. And yeah. so those fundamental tools that you need for learning if they're in place, we open doors and windows for our children to be and do anything. And that excites me. That, that, that is so true. Uh, just by the process of learning to read, you can, you know, the world opens up to you. You can, it's not only books that you read, it's, you know, you take up any craft and you can, um, I've started um, during lockdown. Um, I used to do a lot of knitting before, but then it stopped. But during lockdown, I took it up again. But again, you, you need to be able to read the symbols and you need to be able to read the instructions in order to to access whatever is there. So, yeah, that, that's very true. Um, Anita, has the role of a Senko changed since you came into teaching and what you see now? For sure. Um, okay. So, um, you know, when I was first... Uh, um, so the, the role of the Senko originally was very much that specialist teacher. And mm-hmm. it was very much, if you look back to the, the previous codes of practice, and I was a, a Senko under the 2001 code, um, you know, it was very much that it was what we would now call the bolt-on. It was, you know, there's a problem in the classroom and the teachers would send the child your way. Um, there was a lot of out-of-class interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just seen as something that was very different, if that makes sense. It was very, you know, um, there wasn't this idea of, first of all, inclusion. There wasn't this idea of teachers taking responsibility. Um, I think there was very little understood about SEND. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was was very much the, uh, you know, and the SENCOs, I remember at the time, were were very much gatekeepers, you know, guardians of the, the realm. This is my oh, little domain. Sure. And I kept saying to my staff very clearly, because I was on the senior leadership team and I was in the Senko, and I said, no, 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 let's, let's, let's get this straight, folks. I may be the Senko, but it's not my responsibility alone. We're a team, and it has to be all of us, and we have to work together. And it took a, you know, a lot of thinking around how I shifted their thinking in these mm-hmm. areas, because it was always just a, well, let's just get a TA in. Or, and also with the TAs at that time, it was very much the Velcro model, which, yeah. 
you know, okay, the numbers were fewer, but we did have problems. You know, when the child um, moved on to another school, we as a school had employed a member of staff and we had issues with contracts and all sorts. You know, or that TA was away, then that child actually um, wouldn't function because all they knew was that one TA and they couldn't relate to anyone else. Yeah. You know, in 2011, when they announced the SEND um, reforms, this was such an exciting moment. You know, 30 years of reform. After 30 years, massive reform. Um, And I I think it was uh, just... Before that, a couple of years before that, I'd been um, teaching on the MA um, program for SEND and um, had the privilege of meeting Baroness Warnock and just mm-hmm. talking to her about, you know, her original aspirations for the whole SEND sector and actually how far we've come. In some areas, we've not made progress and in other areas we have. So the role now, as I perceive it, is very much more about leadership. And for me, leadership isn't about host or position in a senior leadership team. Um, It's about influence and impact and galvanizing a team that is not just a little group of TAs or mentors or teaching assistants, but it's actually everyone is on the team. And everyone being on the team means everyone has a responsibility to support children. You've just preempted my question, which was, uh, do you think Senko should be part of the SLT? I'm not going to be very popular for this this comment, um, Noreen, because um, it's a bit like the Earl Grey with the milk. My 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 personally, I think I would say yes and no. Mm. So we have Senkos in who have only had one year's teaching experience and then have been promoted to Senko. Yeah, and I think depending on their background and their journey into teaching, they may or may not have had enough experience in the classroom to develop their own pedagogy, their own understanding of teaching and learning to be able to influence others. Mm -hmm. Um, They may or may not have had enough time to think through leadership and all of those things. And then you've got some Senkos who've been on teaching for 44 years. So so it's a very mixed um, situation. I don't think it should be an automatic. I don't think it should be an automatic. Um, My PhD currently, um, which I'm just actually writing up for submission, looks at the career trajectory of a Mm -hmm. Senko. And research that I undertook, but also other researchers, so there's Catherine Tiscott from uh, Reading University who did a piece of research around Senkos. And one of the things that she noticed was that those Senkos who are on the senior leadership team have had at least nine years teaching experience. And interestingly, my research has come out with similar findings. So I think there is a role for them to be on the senior leadership team, but it shouldn't be an automatic. And as part of my research, I did interview a lot of Senkos who are on the senior leadership team. And to get onto that senior leadership team almost through a microwave promotion process, they've had to take on extra responsibilities. So some have become um, um, DSL leads or mm-hmm. you know other responsibilities. And actually that is cutting into their Senko time. Time, yeah. So I think you know there's a balance to be struck. And I think it's also about understanding that this positional leadership that comes from a place of I have a you know a badge or a an authority, 
and therefore you must listen to me. Or there is influential leadership, which is not about the position you hold, but the impact you have. And I would say my aspiration for Senkos is more rooted in the impact they have on others and for children. I, I think that's where I come from. Uh, you know, that's how I approach it as well. When when I say I I, I quite like to see some senkos on SLT, um, I think it's more because I would like everybody to treat them as as part of the leadership team, even if they are not. You know, even if um, your model is that they are not on the senior leadership team, um, they should have. Um, you know, people should go to them if they've got problems. They should be able to lead the school. As far as the scent um, learning is concerned, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, you have to look at, you know, we've got what twenty-two thousand schools in England, mm-hmm. you know, and and from a about sixty-three in a school all the way up to thousands. Yes, and every school has to have a senko. But yes. the level of responsibility, the number of adults they'll be influencing, the number of children in their care will vary. And so, you know, we're in a very odd situation where, as a country, we've we've insisted that the you know the senko must be a qualified teacher, and the reason that's there is because we want them to have a grounding in their own teaching and learning. You can't mm. affect someone else's teaching and learning unless you have some really solid experience behind you yeah. to understand learning. Yes. So, so they've got to have that. Then we insist that within the first three years they do the national senko award, which is fine. But after that, there is no progression for them. So, so what my PhD is doing is defining that career progression route. And so there may come a time when it's appropriate for them to be on the senior leadership team, but it shouldn't be an automatic. Shouldn't and be so automatic. for Senkos to start, you know, um, um, being that impact without the title is what, is what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. They've got to start thinking about what does leadership mean as opposed mm-hmm. to leader. And I think this is where we've not done enough work within education to to really think about the construct of leadership and what that means. And to be honest with you, when I was in the classroom um, with, you know, not on the senior leadership team, but just as a classroom teacher, I, I saw myself as a leader of learning in that yes. classroom. I'm yes. leading 30 children who are in front of me towards adulthood, towards their destiny, towards mm-hmm. their aspiration. So teaching is also a form of leadership. And unless we can begin to understand the influence and recognize in ourselves the influence we have working in education, and it's a privilege to work in education. It is such a privilege to be part of that because, you know, I used to look at my class and I would, at the beginning of each year, and I would sit there and think, sitting in front of me is a future prime minister. Sitting in front of me is someone who's going to find the cure to cancer or is going to, find a new um, aspect of inside, you know, in, in outer space or, you know, all of those things. And I used to, not that I was imposing those on any of the children, but we are sowing seeds into a destiny that we have no idea about. Yeah. And because I've been teaching so long, I, I have the privilege of still keeping in touch with some of my ex-students and they have gone on to do amazing things, mm-hmm. you know, and I cannot say totally that I am responsible for that, but I know I've contributed an element. Yes. And that, yeah. that's important, yeah. you know? And that's that's what makes teaching so special, isn't it? Absolutely. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, to use a metaphor of, 
um, gardening or, you know, growing. I yes. love the, um, you know, the, you know, when you grow bamboo, you, yes. you plant the seed underneath and for, you know, for five years, you see no growth. There's nothing above ground. And then after five years, there is this sudden spurt and you get masses of harvest. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes education can be like that. There are some years where you actually see very little movement and you think, is there anything really happening? You know, but there's growth going underneath because they are developing their roots and they're strengthening their roots. And then, you know, you see this spurt of growth that manifests and you think, yeah, it's come to life. So, yeah. You, you've just said that, um, you know, in some schools, uh, you may become a Senko when you've only been teaching for a, for a year. Um, in such schools, or even generally, how can we support Senkos to be the best teachers they can be and the best teachers of Senk that they can be, and to support them, support others? It's a good question. Um, so the, I think they've got to continue to invest in their understanding of pedagogy. And I think okay. um, I think that's one aspect Senkos don't necessarily do well because they get distracted into looking at needs and labels, you know, mm -hmm. dyslexia, dyspraxia, you know, ADHD, ASD. And I would say that actually you need to understand pedagogy first and foremost. So I would encourage them to continue to invest in that. I would encourage them in terms of leadership to start, um, so, so one of the things I say to a lot of the Senkos that I support and um, coach is, you know, read leadership biographies. Um, and particularly, I would say, of those not within the education sector. We can learn mm -hmm. so much from leaders in other fields. So I intentionally read at least two biographies a year of a leader in a different field, um, be it politics, sport, fashion, um, the forces, so mm -hmm. um, Navy, Army, um, business, uh, voluntary sector, so charity sector. There are so many leaders in different fields and they have to deal with a variety of issues and challenges on a daily basis. And so by reading their biographies, we, we can have a, you know, a glimpse into their, um, into their lives. And whether we're with children or we're actually with adults, I think, you know, and whether we're in education or out of education, I think for me it boils down to two things. We need to create windows to understand and look into the lives of others because mm -hmm. everyone is different. People come from different communities and we'll only truly embrace diversity if we can understand that there are people who are different to us and we can have a glimpse into what their perception if it is, if that makes sense. Yes. And then, so you glimpse into the lives of others through windows, and at the same time, you hold up a mirror in front of yourself to understand who you are. And I think whether you're a teacher, a leader, a thanko, those two are really critical for what we do in ourselves, but what we enable the children to do. Um, um, really... Um, love this idea of reading biographies from across different sectors. Now, if somebody was listening in and they love the ideas as much as I do, and they wanted to buy, you know, uh, finish the show and get on Amazon or other any other site and buy a book, which 
one book would you recommend they buy? Oh. They could only buy one book. <laughs> oh my word, that's a difficult one. It really is because I have a shelf full of biographies, as you can imagine. Over the years, yes. I've picked up, and and I I like each one for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, years ago I read, and I'm I'm not saying that this is the one I would totally mm-hmm. recommend, but I just want to give you some examples. So I read um, David Beckham's biography. Right. And and you know there were things from that that I really learned a lot from. There's been Paralympics. Um, I've read um, recently also things like um, people who've worked in Starbucks. Um, then two years ago, just before COVID, um, there was one of the first senior executives in Amazon. So this this person was involved in developing the first five years of Amazon. He wasn't the pioneer of Amazon, but he worked alongside the pioneer of Amazon. And his take on building such an enterprise in the early days, because, you know, we now know Amazon to be the big organization that it is. But when the early days were there, that was a different kind of leadership. That was a different kind of world. And yet they had the vision for what it could become. You know, the vision, I mean, Amazon Prime, I can't remember how old Amazon Prime video is, um, but it's it's what, within the last six, six years, I'd say? Mm-hmm. But back yes. in the early days, the original team of Amazon had the vision of Amazon TV. So what we're seeing manifest now isn't just a, you know, Amazon adapting to. This has been years of leadership and things sewn into it that they've really talked about. Um, obviously, you've got the classics like Nelson Mandela, but if there, actually there is one book that I think I read, two books that I can, I would say are my go-to books whenever I'm kind of. So if I'm in need of a um, a bit of a, you know, it's been a heavy day and I want something light-hearted, um, mm-hmm. The Humor of J.F. Kennedy is one of my favourites. Okay, uh, and it's it's a book that um, it's just it's snippets from his speeches. And and obviously his humor is in the context of that time. Yes. But um, I find that quite interesting, as much as I'm much also a, a West Wing fan. So I'm sure there are people rooting <laughs> on there for the West Wing. Um, <laughs> but as much as also I like Yes Prime Minister and Yes Minister, and yeah. the other one that I really fascinated me was um, Lincoln the Unknown. And I liked, and it's by Dale Carnegie, and it's a favorite of mine for two reasons, if I'm honest. One was because my my parents um, uh, came to England in the 50s. Um, so I'm second generation here, if that makes sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, they came at a time when they were ve- it was not a cosmopolitan country at all. Okay. Um, you know, there was one Indian shop in the whole of London um, you know, we, I, my mother has been rejected for jobs because she was wearing a sari. So we've mm-hmm. seen, you know, the, the nation transform in being much more accepting of different cultures and different ethnicities. So my parents went to used to go to Dale Carnegie classes and the book was um, won by my father for giving a speech. And it, he so that book has uh, a memory to me because it was a prize that he had won in attending the Dale Carnegie course. It's, um, that's, I think if, if you've got a personal story to attach to something, it makes it a bit more special, doesn't it? Absolutely. And 
you know, we know Lincoln for what he did in terms of, yes. you know, yes. the abolition of slavery and that. But this book goes into the him behind the scenes. Dale Carnegie mm-hmm. did a lot of research. And, you know, the the man, you know, it, in today's time, the book would have been the equivalent of an incredibly good Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was reading about um, um, the, the father of nation of, of Pakistan, Qaeda Azam, Mohammed Ali Jinnah. And uh, I don't know whether you were aware or not, he was a barrister uh, before he came into politics. Um, once he was um, debating a case in front of the judge um, and the time ran out. And the judge says, um, you know, how much more do you need? And he says, I need 15 more minutes. So the judge says, well, in that case, shall we continue? Um, and Jinnah said, no, Your Honor, I can't because I've got another appointment. Um, uh, so I'd rather we continue you know, tomorrow. So the judge became a bit angry. He said, well, I'm, you know, I've got another appointment too, but I'm, I'm uh, willing to delay that. And Jinnah says, uh, well, that's the difference between you and me. I'm not willing to let somebody else wait for me. So I'd rather we did it tomorrow. So I thought <laughs> that was... <laughs> That I thought was really good. That you know the importance of timing and making sure that um, that that's the leader. That you know, just because you're a leader, you you can't keep people waiting because you are you are the leader. Yes, and but and also as a leader, you have to make difficult decisions, and you can't please everyone. Mm. And I think sometimes with you know, senkos are incredibly caring and nurturing, and there's a there's a fine line between. Um, being caring and nurturing and being a people pleaser. Yes. And, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm Christian by faith and we talk a lot about the difference between being a peacekeeper, which is like yes. a people pleaser and a peacemaker. Okay. Peacemaker yes. is where you influence it to bring your own peace to a situation. And I think, you know, it's about, you know, for, so for any Senko, whether you're one year into your profession as a Senko or you're, you know, 10 years down the line. It's not about people pleasing. Leadership involves difficult decisions. It involves prioritization. It involves conflict management. And I would say more so for the Senkos because you've got such a wide range of stakeholders that in pleasing one, you're going to upset the other, just like this um, and the judge. Yes. Yeah, very true. But I have to uh, take a short break for ads and the news. But when I come back... um, Anita, I'd like to ask you that you worked overseas. Um, So during the outbreak, maybe think about what difference did you find about um, SENCOs or the equivalent role overseas and the way we do it here? So uh, that's something we'll come back to just after the news. So news, ads, and then we back to Anita. Stay tuned. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools have faced warnings this week from data privacy watchdogs following the rollout of facial recognition technology in canteens. The systems were initially installed to be more COVID safe, allowing students to make contactless payments. 
a spokesman for the schools implementing the new technology, said the software makes payments faster and over 97% of school communities had given their consent for it to be used. However, a spokeswoman for children's digital rights group, Defend Digital Me, argued that biometrics should never be used for children in educational settings. No ifs, no buts. It's not necessary. Just ban it. The focus group recommended that the least invasive option always be used where young people are concerned. Three schools across Buckinghamshire have been targeted this week by anti-vaccination campaigners. The protest groups targeted the schools with loudspeakers, flyers and QR codes which students were encouraged to scan to listen to a song warning them about the alleged dangers of the vaccine. Police were forced to attend one of the scenes to disband protesters. The county remains on red alert for potential anti-vaccine protests at their schools and have had to issue guidance to staff at schools on how to handle demonstrators. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello, welcome back. Um, this is um, the late show on the 20th of October. I'm Noreen Khalid, your host, and we are live on Teachers Talk Radio. I have with me Anita Devi, who's um, who's been telling us and talking to us about uh, Senkos and what's involved in the road, in the role. So um, Anita has worked abroad as well. And um, so Anita, um, 
is there a, firstly where did you work abroad and secondly was there a equivalent role to what we call a senko here when you were abroad um so so oh you're going to ask me where i worked there's a long list noreen so east oh, and right. west, <laughs> east and west coast of um america uh-huh. um uh, nairobi um zambia malawi lots of places in europe that i can't even remember now but including russia romania uh zurich australia india south the south india sri lanka oh. uh, rajasthan so yeah i've been to a few places let's say um i think no there isn't i mean in hong kong um and some of the international schools um so in vietnam and places like that yes they have got um someone who would lead on send they don't necessarily call it a send code but they may have someone and they don't have the same kind of structures um but i'm often come called to go in and work with the leaders either head teachers or the teachers and um help them to inc- uh, develop their inclusive practice so a lot of the work has often stemmed off the back of what was the millennium development goals that is now the sustainable development goals um so it's much more linked in with the whole kind of un agenda around inclusion um and so from that perspective what i do is well, uh, let me start with what i don't do what i don't do is go to to these countries and say this is the model we have in england this is what you need to be doing but what i do is i will take the principles with which we work and then i use their culture and their structure and their approach to learning to shift the teachers and develop their skills so for example in africa they have um quite a significant retention system so when i was teaching a level maths out in zambia you know i would have um a level student aged children in my class but i would also have 20 year olds who had been held back just sitting in that class because they hadn't passed the end of year exam mm-hmm. um and and so that's a very different culture now again we have certain resources here and things that we expect to see in the classroom that wouldn't necessarily be available in different parts of africa so one of the first things i do if i'm in places where it's culturally very different is i actually go to their supermarket store and from the supermarket you can get lots of things that actually form really good resources for children with special needs so if i was to look at say fine and motor uh, fine and gross motor skills um i took out to malawi from here lots of um men's shirts and hangers Mm-hmm. and we would put the shirts on the hangers and the children had to button up and down the buttons and what right. they were developing in that process okay was their fine motor skills that enabled them to write but the the resource that i'd taken out wasn't something that was high tech or you know relevant to here or that was a british shirt but it was kind of something that they could relate to within their own culture right so yeah, i i i think um, you made you hit a really important point about being really um aware of of the culture where you're working with um and if you want to take people with you you need need to work with them 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, it's so critical. I mean, I cannot. Yeah, that's the one thing I've I've always learned going abroad and working with colleagues abroad. And it's such an opportunity because we learn as much from them as they learn from us. You know, and it really makes you be very clear on your thinking. I mean, I did um, some behavior training for colleagues in um, on the Gold Coast in Australia. And again, you know, I had to be so mindful that in the classroom, are children of Aboriginal background and some who are not, and then the diversity within that, and then their language, and what means some something may mean in English here won't have the same meaning in English over there. No. So preparation for these trips is more than just about what I do and what I believe in, but it's also about understanding them and forming a rapport with them as well, because what you don't want to do is go in as the expert, as you know it all. You want to go in and come alongside them and help them grow in a way that they can continue to grow when you leave. That's, that's so true. Um, now, I, I believe you've been helping Senkos during the pandemic as well. Um, and I, you know, the Senko role is, is a difficult one in, in any, uh, in any way, anyway. Um, but is it correct to say that this would have become even more difficult during the pandemic? I think so. I think so. But there is a, there is a funny story to this, Noreen, because yeah. um, so a lot of my work's booked up in advance. And I think it was around February, people, you know, um, a lot of things started to get cancelled for, for myself. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think at that point, if I'm honest, I had really fully understood that the the extent of the pandemic and so most of my diary then was cleared up until Easter May and I just thought well this will be till Easter and we can ride it till then but I was sitting there thinking what am I going to do I don't want to sit around twiddling my thumbs and I sat and thought I want to be useful to humanity during this time and at the time I was sitting there thinking do you know what I've never done in my life which I'd love to do is work in a shop you know mm-hmm. front, front yes. liner. Yes. So I was actually in the process of thinking of applying to go and work in Aldi for six nice. six weeks whilst the whole thing was going on, or I thought I what I thought would be until Easter, and then uh, Boris Johnson announced twenty weeks, and I was thinking, wow. Anyhow, I went to bed thinking about these thoughts that how do I make myself useful, and it was just almost overnight I had this thing. Well, actually, our senkos are going to need support. Why don't we just set up a support line, a support service? And by nine o'clock the next morning, we had the logistics in place. Um, we were doing so. Yeah, I was coaching all the way through lockdown, um, and I think it. And again, it what came through was we had some senkos who were very experienced, but had not been in situations like this. I was part of uh, many years ago, you know, in Sri Lanka when there was the tsunami. Yes, um, I was part of the relief team that went out to Trincomalee to right, right. work with teachers out there on PTSD. Yes, so, you know, yes. I've been in those kind of war zone kind of areas and those kind of aspects. So you get to develop a, a sense of how you deal with emergencies and critical situations. And we had these Senkos who they knew what they needed to do in terms of care and all of that. But there were other aspects of risk management. There were other aspects of strategic leadership. There were other aspects of managing themselves to be to sustain their own health. And one of the biggest things I think we talked about in supporting Senkos over that time was strategic leadership, 
and well-being. And I think those are the two things that they kind of put aside whilst all of this was going on because they were so caught up in the operational. Um, so, yeah, the, the Senko, I mean, I just to give you one anecdote, I remember, I think it was just around Easter, I was, I was coaching someone on before Easter Friday, so, and they had been told as a school that they would be the locality hub starting effective the day after Easter Monday. And they hadn't thought through the implications of school, children from other schools coming onto their site you know, from a risk perspective, from a relationship perspective, from a logistic perspective, from a, you know, if, the, if something happens in the day and they have to contact parents and all of those kind of other aspects that we take sometimes for granted because all those systems and structures are set up in our school, that, that they hadn't thought all those things through. And I spent the whole two hours with this head teacher and um, her Senko talking through and the, the government at that time if you remember in the early days of the first lockdown were issuing guidelines once it after the <laughs> thing had been announced so yes, there were no yes. guidelines and we were sitting there actually structuring what this hub would look like and what they needed to put in place in order to make their schools a hub for that local area well it's um it, it's been so fascinating talking to you and um you know i've only gone through about half the questions which I was going to ask you and we've almost come to the end of our time. I think I'm, I'm going to have to invite you to come again perhaps after you've submitted your PhD and we can talk because I was going to talk to you about your research as well. So if you don't mind, uh, would you? we'd love to have you again to talk a bit more about this. Um, but it's been really fascinating and thank Thank you. And yes, I'd love Thank to come back. Thank you so back. much for taking time out to come to us, uh, Anita. Uh, oh, lovely. Thank you. I'll, I'll make a note of that. Um, and best luck, best of luck with you. Not that you need luck. I'm, you know, having heard um, you speak at the Belmas Inclusion Ring and, and you know, fall, after following you on Twitter, I know your work will be, um, will be really uh, something which is really needed and it's going to be f fabulous once um, once you've uh, submitted and you can tell us more about it and perhaps even you know publish papers so that everybody else can uh, benefit from your research so good luck with that and uh, thank you so much and uh, hope you have a lovely um, Wednesday night what's left of it thank you very much thank you thank you thank you bye, -bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you.